Watermark and friends watching online or listening. My name is Jermaine Harrison, and I get to serve on staff here at Watermark Dallas with the high school ministry. And I want to start, thank you, and I want to start this message off by asking you a question. Is there anyone whose car is in the shop right now? Anyone? If, you, if your car is in the shop, let me see your hand. Yeah, I see, I see a couple of hands. The rest of them aren't here because their car is in the shop. Um, but I want to tell you a story that happened to me recently that I think will set up where we're going. Um, so to, tell you, to, to set that up, I just want you to know that through the kindness and generosity uh, of friends uh, in my life, I moved here to Dallas eight years ago to attend grad school. And most of you know if you're in grad school, you don't have a lot of money. And so I was gifted by a couple friends, not one, but two free cars at different points uh, over the last eight years. Unfortunately, both of those cars met their untimely demise through car trouble. Right? And so the first car that I was gifted was a 1997 Mercury Grand Marquis. I called it the Beast. It's amazing. And uh, here's a picture of it after the, yeah, after the tire exploding one Thanksgiving day as I was driving down the highway, and then that car died. And then someone else gifted me another car. It was an amazing 2000 Toyota Solaris. And uh, I love this car, called it the Silver Surfer. Here's a picture of it being towed away after literally the engine exploded while I was driving down the highway. And so on both occasions, the cars just, through car trouble, just, you know, died. And some of you might be wondering or might be shocked to know that during the entire time I had these two amazing cars, I was single the entire time. It's crazy. I, I don't understand it. But amazingly, the great news is that just about a month ago, I got engaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's in large part to the new car that I upgraded to. <laughs> um, man, it's, it's the car of everyone's dreams. It's the car that is fuel efficient and safe for the whole family and makes you feel like you're contributing to the environment of our world. It comes with four automatic doors with handles and air conditioning and four 100% rubber tires. It's an amazing cobalt blue 2008 Honda Civic. I love this car, but, but this car itself got me into some trouble back in January, back when it was kind of cold in Dallas, according to our terms. There were two, on two different occasions, I walked out of my house getting ready to, to face the day and to go to work or go about uh, the errands that I had for the day, and I went into the car, getting ready to start it up, to get, get warm before I, I drove off, and I turned the key, and nothing. Not even a little word to make you think, oh, like, it's kind of trying to turn on. Just nothing. Twice. And I'm not a car guy, and so on both occasions, I got my uh, car towed to the mechanic, and they evaluated it and figured out what was wrong and fixed it. And so on one occasion, it was my air conditioning and my battery, and the other occasion, it was my, uh, my starter that was, was completely gone. And so on two occasions, my car was dead. It was not working. It, it would not start. And I took it in. It was evaluated, and I took action to fix it. 
And the reason I tell you that story is because this morning, I'd love to talk to you about what to do when it feels like your relationship with God has broken down. What to do when it feels like, not just your car, but when it feels like your relationship with God has broken down. And I think that this topic is so important for us to discuss because if, if your relationship with God feels like it's broken down, if it's not in a place where it should be, all of life begins to feel broken down. It affects every area of your life. And it starts off with, you know, not having a desire to, to read the Bible. Or if you spend time in the Word, you feel like you're just reading words on a page. And then it, it moves into no desire to pray. And then it moves into no desire to, to meet with your, your community group. And then the next thing you know, it begins to seep into the other areas of your life. And your marriage is no longer where you, you want it to be. Or your relationship with your kids isn't where you want it to be. Or you find yourself being discontent with your job. Or you find yourself over and over asking the questions, man, I wish I had fill in the blank. And then all of a sudden, you have no desire to serve. You wish you did, but you don't. You wish you had more of a desire to, uh, to serve your neighbors, but you don't. Or that, that thing that you confess to your community group and you're like, I want to gain victory over this. Uh, you told them that you would, and now you're not only tempted by it, but you're giving into it over and over. And you just don't seem to care. Or maybe you're here and you've just lost your joy in life. Maybe you're skeptical Maybe you're cynical. Maybe last week you, you said, hey, God, I'm going to give you one more chance, and then I'm going to give up on Christianity. Maybe you're here, and you are this close to giving up on your relationship with God. And if you resonate with, with any of that, I think that God is trying to get your attention. And I think that he's giving you this message to draw you back to him. And so... Just like when you take your broken down car into the, the mechanic and they diagnose it and figure out what's wrong and take action, I'm going to give you five questions to evaluate your relationship with God. Five questions to evaluate your relationship with God and hopefully give you some uh, practical uh, advice that you can, you can put into play. All right? So the first of those questions is this. Am I seeking God, am I seeking to know God, or seeking to seem like I know him? Am I seeking to know God and build a real, genuine relationship with him? Or am I just playing church and doing the things that Christians are supposed to do so that I can look the part? And Jesus addresses this person who is pretending instead of seeking a genuine relationship with him. In one of his most amazing sermons in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus addresses this very issue. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, what day? The day of judgment, the day when we stand before God. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And so Jesus is, is calling out those who are pretending or, or making it seem like they have a relationship with him when they don't. He says that they're going to stand before him and they're going to say, hey, I went to church a bunch of times or I did all of these good things or I gave to this nonprofit or I uh, supported this orphan. Isn't it enough? Look at my checklist, God. And, and, and Jesus says, God is going to say to that person, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. I think another uh, illustration of this happened a few months ago. Every year, our, our staff here at, at Watermark goes on a, on a retreat for a couple of days to realign and be encouraged and get ready uh, for the year. And so Todd usually gives us some sort of mission to go on. We get put on teams, and we, we drive out to where we're going to have the retreat, and, and he gives us some mission. And so this year, the task was to create a 20-second video of random strangers, people that you don't know, doing something awe-inspiring. And so you just need to get, convince some strangers to record a video of them doing something that makes people go, wow, that's crazy. And so a group of people on staff went to North Park Mall and they went to Zales and they said, hey, can we borrow an engagement ring, please? And they're like, sure you can. And so they, they take this engagement ring and they, they go out into, you know, in North Park, and they find a guy, and they say, hey, will you be willing to propose to a random stranger woman, that you, the next one that we see? And he's like, of course I will. And so, <laughs> and so he goes close to the escalator, if you've ever been at North Park, and the, the unsuspecting woman is coming down the elevator, and this random stranger standing in front of her, and as soon as she gets to the ground floor, he gets down on one knee and asks her to marry him. And like in the video, you see her doing, like, doing something like this. And so we ask our, uh, our friends that did this video, like, what was she saying? And they said she was saying over and over, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. As she should say, I don't know you. <laughs> and the reason that's funny or the reason that's weird is because this, this man was performing an external action that made it seem like there was a genuine relationship when there really wasn't, right? And so that's the point that Jesus is making, that there are some people maybe in this room or listening right now who are doing the things on the outside that make it seem like there's a genuine relationship when there really isn't. In contrast, I just told you a little while ago, I got engaged a month ago. Uh, here's a picture of me proposing to my, my now fiance. And you, you have a different re reaction to this, right? Because I wasn't walking up to a random girl and getting down on one knee. I, I was walking up to a girl that I had dated for an entire year, right? And asking her to be my wife. And praise God, she said yes. And the difference between those two scenarios is that in one case, I, I knew her. I had a relationship with her because I'd spent time, because I'd invested in the relationship. It was real. And in the case at North Park, there was no relationship. Even if he knew facts about her, if even, if, even if he went on Facebook and looked her up, she would have still gotten the same response because that would have been really creepy, right? Uh, there's no relationship. 
And so God calls us, he challenges us to seek to know him, not just know about him or seek to seem like we know who he is. So the action associated with this question that I want to challenge you with and encourage you with is the action of cultivating a relationship with God. You know this, you know this. What does it mean to cultivate a relationship with God? Spend time with him, right? Invest in that relationship through God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And God's word instructs you, it informs you, it guides your life. And his spirit hopefully uses that information and that truth to to affect every area of your life. And God's people should hopefully be encouraging you and challenging you to, to, to continue developing your relationship with God. And so the action, if you're wrestling with, man, am I truly seeking God or just seeking to seem like I know him, is to cultivate a real, genuine relationship with him. And there may be some of you who are like, I'm not seeking to know him, and I'm not even seeking to pretend like I know him. I don't know him. And I'm glad that you're listening. I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that you hear loud and clear that the God of the universe loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death and to raise again on the third day victorious over sin and death and hell and the grave. And he calls you into a relationship with him. So the first question to ask when you're diagnosing or evaluating your relationship with God is, am I seeking to know God or seeking to seem like I know him? Number two, the second question to ask yourself is, am I humbly trusting in God or proudly trusting in myself? Am I humbly trusting in God or proudly trusting in myself? And the difference between trusting in God and trusting in in yourself is where your ultimate confidence lies, right? Pride says or pride shifts ultimate confidence from God and puts it on yourself. Pride says, I got this. I don't need God. I don't need anyone else. And if you're sitting in a room and you're like, nah, I don't really struggle with pride, see if you can find yourself in this list of things that tends to mark people who struggle with pride. All right, a prideful person waits for the other person to come and ask for forgiveness in a conflict. A prideful person seeks to maintain control and must have their way. They have to prove that they're right. They want to be sure that no one finds out about their sin. They want to keep people at arm's length. A prideful person is concerned about what others think. They focus on the failure of others. They feel confident in how much they know. A prideful person is unapproachable, is defensive when criticized, is driven to be recognized and appreciated, works to maintain image and protect reputation. A prideful person has a hard time saying, I was wrong, will you forgive me? prideful person thinks of what they can do for God and they compare themselves with others and feel deserving of honor. And I can go on and on and on and probably you heard something that you're like, I've, I've done that a time or two. And here's the thing, if pride goes unchecked in your life, it will continue to grow. It will continue to take over your life and ultimately destroy it. It's like an article that I I read a while ago about a Connecticut woman 
who was walking around with a 132-pound tumor in her body. 132 pounds. That's like your average uh, ninth grade boy, like inside your body. That's what she was walking around with. And, and, and so she had surgery and it was successful. And you can imagine how different the quality of life was before and after this surgery where she removed this 132 pound tumor. And pride is a tumor that is in all of our hearts. And if it goes unchecked, it will continue to grow and destroy our lives. But thankfully, Peter gives us a remedy for pride. He gives us a remedy to show us how we can humbly trust in God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Here's what he says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders and all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so Peter is arguing that God's preferred way for you to experience humility and to humbly trust in him is by you choosing to do it, right? He says, you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. He says, you humble yourself under God's mighty hand. You do it. And it may seem weird that like right after he says this, he goes on to say, and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But really, it is so connected because one of the most humble things that you and I can do is pray. One of the most humble things you and I can do is pray. You see, when we're, when we're filled with pride, when we think we can do it on our own, we carry these heavy burdens on our shoulders. We walk around with them with the stress and the pain and the anger and the frustration and the, 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 the just difficulty in life. And you think you can keep it. You think you can handle it. But you're walking around with a 132-pound tumor. And the God of the universe is saying, throw it on me. Cast your anxiety on me. Why? Because he cares for you. And so one of the most humble things that you can do, if you want to be a person marked by humility, clothed in humility, surrendered to God, is to pray. And not just pray, you know, rehearsed prayers, right? Or, or, or prayers that sound good. When I, was a, when I was a little kid, me and my brother would pray a prayer every time we ate, we ate a meal. And the prayer kind of goes like this. Thank you, Lord, for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, Lord, for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And you know, when you, when you say it over and over again, you, and, and, and it, it gets ingrained in your mind, you start saying it without even thinking about what you're saying. And what, what Peter is saying, and the kind of prayer that he wants us to pray, the prayer of humility, is not rehearsed, is not fake, is not just saying things that sound good, but it's real and honest and desperate prayers. Because the God of the universe cares for you. And so, to, to just kind of recap, the first question we want to ask when we're diagnosing and evaluating our relationship with God is, am I seeking to know God or seeking to seem like I know him? And number two was, am I humbly trusting in God or proudly 
trusting in myself. Here's the third question. Am I choosing to be thankful or is complaining winning the day? Am I choosing to be thankful or is complaining winning the day? Here's what Ephesians 5 verse 20, here's what it says. It says, always, not sometimes, but always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is for us to give thanks? And you can fact check me by reading the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, and you can look and see how many times we are challenged, we are encouraged to give thanks, to give glory, to offer praise to the God of the universe. Hundreds of times in Scripture, we are called to give thanks. And you know what verse isn't in Scripture? A verse that encourages you or reminds you that you need to complain or be ungrateful. And you know why? Because we don't need reminders to be, com- to, to be ungrateful or to complain. It comes easy to us. It's easy to complain about your boss, but it's difficult to be thankful for your job. It's easy to complain about your family or some life circumstance, but it's hard to be thankful for your family. It's easy to complain about what you don't have, but hard to be thankful for what you do have. You see, complaining and being ungrateful is easy, but being thankful takes discipline. Complaining and being ungrateful is easy, but being thankful takes discipline. And so the action associated with this question is to practice being thankful. So we're going to do it right now. I'm going to give you an illustration that I think will be super helpful and you can use in your own personal life. Uh, I, I serve on the high school team, like I said, and sometimes we go on team bonding trips. So we go on road trips every now and then. And recently when we've gone on a, a few of these trips, we have played a, a game in the car called uh, the movie star game. And so I want you to picture yourself in a car with five other people. There's six people in this car, and we're playing the movie star game. And the way this game goes is you, you name a movie star. So let's pretend uh, we're talking about Will Smith, okay? Because he's awesome. And uh, every individual begins to think about a movie that he was in, right? And so the first person goes, and they're like, Oh, Hitch, of course, everyone knows he was in that. Next person goes, Ali, and the next person goes, um, Concussion, and goes on and on, and everyone continues to name one, and then someone's like, oh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and you're like, that's not even a movie, and, you know, and that person is out of the game, and so the game continues to go until only one person can name a movie that Will Smith was in. It's a pretty fun game and takes up lots of time. You can use it on your next road trip. And so here's what I want you to do, or here's what I want to challenge you to do. Not play the movie star game, although you could, but to play the thankfulness game. What if the next time you sit down with your family, uh, with your kids, with your wife, uh, or, or your community group, or your coworkers, you played the thankfulness game, and you, you set a timer for five minutes, or three minutes, or don't set a timer at all, and you say, guys, it's so easy to be ungrateful or to complain. Let's play this game and, and, and share things that we are thankful for, and just go around, and everyone share something that they're thankful for until you can't think of anything else. I guarantee you that game's gonna go way longer than you, than you would expect. 
But here's also what I know is true. You're hearing that and you're like, oh, that sounds pretty good, but I'm never going to do that. Probably 90% of you are like, no. So, <laughs> so I decided to go ahead and write down a list of things that I'm thankful for uh, to guilt trip you into playing the game. So here we go. I wrote down God's continual, I'm thankful for God's continual work to change the hearts of men. I don't know if you were here this last week at any of our campuses, but over 200 people publicly declared that they are with Christ, that they have placed their faith in him. That's amazing that God continues to add to the book of Acts in 2018 and change the hearts of men. Yeah. <laughs> and then in conjunction with that, I'm, I'm thankful that I got the privilege to baptize my fiance during that celebration. That was awesome. I'm thankful for God's financial provision in my life. I'm thankful for books written by others that stir my affections for Christ. Uh, I'm thankful for a body that, that continues to function well for the most part. I'm thankful for Torchy's Tacos, Chips and Queso, best chips and queso in Dallas. Heard it here first. Uh, I'm thankful for Trader Joe's unsweetened dried mango. Listen, if you've never had this, you need to try it. So someone somewhere in our world picked mangoes for me. Then they dried them. They didn't add sugar or anything to it. And then they packaged it and put it in my local gro grocer's, uh, you know, freezer or aisle. And I get to go and enjoy some amazing dried mango. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for frost gelato in all its creamy goodness filled with lactose and everything else that you love in life. I'm thankful that at the end of Avengers Infinity War, although all hope seems lost, you and I both know all hope is not lost because there's many more movies to be made, lots more of our money to be given to them, so I know they're going to figure it out somehow. I'm thankful for that. You see, being thankful, I could keep going, but being thankful is a great indicator of a relationship with God that is running well. Being thankful is a great indicator of a relationship with God that is running well. So, number one was, am I seeking to know God or seeking to seem like I know him? Am I humbly trusting in God, number two, or proudly trusting in myself? And number three, am I choosing to be thankful or is complaining winning the day? Number four, am I self-righteous? Am I self-righteous? And what I'm getting at here is this feeling of, you know, moral superiority. Like when you compare yourself to someone else or their lifestyle and feeling like you're better than them. And if I'm honest, this is the, the check that I need to continually ask myself. Because it's so easy for me when I'm not abiding with the Lord to, to think that I'm good. To think that he's like looking down and being like, he's so awesome. Look how many good things he's doing. And it's because my story is different from some of you. You know, if you've been around here at Watermark, you've heard one of our teaching pastors, JP, talk about before he was a Christian, he was in bars, getting drunk, and then he stumbled in here one Sunday, uh, hungover and smelling like smoke. And I was at the front sitting and looking back and judging him and wondering when he's going to leave. I didn't really do that, but that's, that, that's the kind of heart that I have. 
Because I, I grew up going to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday evening prayer and Bible study and Friday night youth group and playing basketball at the church on Saturday because you don't want to go to that non-believer basketball court over there. Like that was me. And I was uh, the straight A student. I was a law-abiding citizen. I was a good kid. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with mostly good kids is that they don't think they need a savior. They don't think they need a savior. They think instead they need a change in circumstances maybe. Or maybe they need a little more time or a second chance or for their kids to behave or for that person to be out of their life or just a little bit more money or they think they need to to upgrade from that Honda Civic, right? And so for me, I have to constantly remind myself that I need a savior. So uh, a few years ago, I, I, I started this practice, and I hope it's helpful to you. I wrote down a note on my phone of uh, basically, if I'm not abiding with Christ, if I'm not daily surrendering and submitting to him in humility, here's where I'm easily going to turn. There's a picture up on the screen of it. Uh, the title is kind of is uh, reminding myself of my depravity. And I said, apart from Christ... <clears throat> I am an impatient, attention-seeking, conflict-avoiding, recognition-craving, self-righteous, envious, lustful-thinking, perfectionist, legalistic, worry addict. That's me. If I'm not abiding with Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. And when I look at that list, or when you see that list, do you think that I have a reason to, to need a Savior? Absolutely. And that list is a constant reminder to me that I need a savior. And every now and then I go back and I look at it and I add more to it, not because I've gotten worse, hopefully, but because the Holy Spirit continues to work and transform my life. And, and he begins to show me new things like, hey, what about this? You're, you're, you're gaining ground in this area, but what about this? And the, here's the reality. Every single one of us has a list. Your list may not look like this at all. It may look completely different. But every one of us has a list. Even the Apostle Paul himself had one. Here's what he says of himself and others in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Listen, if you're here for the first time or you've, you've thought of giving up on church or you've been out of church for a long time and you came back, the reason that we can stand and sing about God's reckless love and all these songs of praise and worship to him isn't because we're awesome. We're not awesome. We have a list, but the, the, the love of God has transformed our lives through the power of Jesus and through his work on the cross and his resurrection. And because of that, we have a relationship with God and we praise him that he continues to daily transform us. Yeah. And so here's the action associated with this. The action is to reflect. And here's a question to ask yourself. Now, what addictions, attitudes, 
or action, addictions, attitudes, or actions would I quickly run to if not for Christ? What actions, attitudes, or addictions would I quickly run to if not for Christ? Spend some time, stop, and really think about it. Think about all of the reasons that, man, you need a Savior. So, we've gone through four. The first one is, am I seeking to know God or seeking to seem like I know him? Number two, am I humbly trusting in God or proudly trusting in myself? And number three, am I choosing to be thankful or is complaining winning the day? And number four is, am I self-righteous? And the last question that we're going to ask ourselves, if we're evaluating our relationship with God and hoping to take action, is, am I being selfish? Am I being selfish? No, I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about the most amazing resource you have if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. And so this last semester, uh, our high school ministry small group studied through the the gospel of Mark. And we're going to look at what happens in Mark chapter 16. This is after Jesus has lived and performed miracles and taught and uh, been uh, crucified and is dead and buried. Right? For, for three days. And on the third day, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, these three women, they're going to the tomb to anoint Jesus with spices. Right? And they're talking and they're like, man, how are we going to get the, the, the stone rolled away from the tomb? And when they walk up, spoiler alert, the, the stone is already rolled away. And there's a young man sitting in there, an angel, we find out, and here's what he says in Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Look at verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. But because we have the other accounts of what happened in in Matthew and Luke and John, we know that these three women eventually get over their, their fear and they're the first ones to share the gospel in all its fullness that the Son of God, even though he was dead, he is alive. He is no longer in the grave. And they got to tell that to the disciples. They got to pass on the most amazing news that someone could ever hear. And so the action for you and the action for me related to this question is to pass it on. Don't let the healing and hope that you have experienced because of Jesus and his transforming work in your life stop with you. This world is broken and sinful, and the answer is Jesus. Here are a couple examples of how I've seen people do that recently. Uh, a while back, I was at Whataburger uh, with some friends, like most youth pastors do. 
And uh, the, the Whataburger waitress girl comes over with the, you know, the condiments. And she's like, oh, do you want some spicy ketchup? And we're like, of course we want spicy ketchup. Uh, and, and, and so she's standing there talking. And one of my friends, she begins to engage with the, the, the waitress. And she says, hey, we're Christians. And, and, and we're about to pray to the God of the universe. And, you know, some, you know, somehow works the gospel into just that one sentence. And asks this waitress, hey, is there any way we can pray for you? And so she tells us uh, things about her life. And then we, we pray for her. And in that moment, in that, you know, 30, to, um, 30 seconds to a minute exchange, we got to engage with this random stranger. And we got to uh, share with her the good news, the hope that we have in Christ, and pray for her. It was that easy. It was that simple. You know what she didn't do? My friend, my friend didn't go awkwardly and say, you know what, there's some really nice lights in this Whataburger. Can I tell you about the light of the world? She, she didn't do that. Or, uh, or she wasn't like, man, that, those, that, those fries and that burger, they came from a very hot place. Let me tell you about someplace else that's really hot. No, she didn't do that either. She was just normal, just a normal conversation with another human being. Uh, and it was, it was simple. And imagine if, imagine if the next time you're at some sit-down restaurant and you're about to pray what you're going to do anyway, and the, wait, the waiter or waitress comes up and you say, hey, uh, we're Christians and we're about to pray to the God of the universe who we think sent his son, who we believe sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and raise again for our sins and yours. How can we pray for you while we pray for this meal? Done. And you're sharing the gospel. You're letting that, that message of healing and hope continue on. Who knows what the Lord's going to do? They might be mad at you or they might be really receptive. Who knows? But your responsibility is to share, right? And I was encouraged by that, but I was even more encouraged uh, by one of our, our high school students who I heard this story this past week. Uh, she started a relationship with a friend of hers back in the third grade and continued to invite this friend to, to come to church, to come to different activities at church with her. And over the years, this friend continued to come and hear about Jesus. And then the friend moved away and moved back to Dallas. And when the friend moved back, the student continued to invite her to small group and to church and to all of these different things. And last week at the baptism uh, service, that friend published publicly declared her faith in Christ and was one of the over 200 people that were baptized. All because, or a part of the reason was, one friend who, who knew her and had a relationship with her just continued to invite her. That's another way that you can continue to pass on the message of healing and hope. Just invite someone. Tell them, come, come and see our Christ, come and see my church. Come and see what we're all about. That's another amazing way that you can uh, not let the healing and hope you've experienced stop with you. Pass it on. And so in conclusion, when your relationship with God feels broken down, evaluate it and take action. When your relationship with God feels like it's broken down, evaluate it and take action. Action. And the questions again are, am I seeking to know God or seeking to seem like I know him? Am I humbly trusting in God or proudly trusting in myself? Am I choosing to be thankful or is complaining winning the day? Am I self-righteous? And then am I selfish? 
So when I took my car in back in January to, to evaluate it and to take action, I had a, a number in my mind of, you know, how much it would cost. And so when the mechanic, you know, called me back and he's like saying all of the things that need to be fixed and he tells me the price, immediately I'm like, are you telling me the price of fixing my car or of buying your entire store and all the cars in it? Because this doesn't sound right. And so it costs me a lot of money. But immediately, days after, one of my coworkers who you've heard from recently, David Penuel, his car broke down. And don't worry, he drives an amazing 2003 Honda Accord. And so his car breaks down, and in that moment, I was able to allow him to use my car. And it was a blessing and an encouragement to him. And so here's the thing. God calls you and he calls me to evaluate on a regular basis our relationship with him. To not just evaluate it and see what's wrong and leave it, but to take action. And taking action is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time and energy and resources. But I'm telling you, the payoff is huge. The payoff is a, a renewed joy in your relationship with God. The payoff is blessing in your own life and blessing in the lives of others. Let me pray that you would. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the fact that you care more about our relationship with you. You care more about your relationship with us than we ever could. And thank you for the fact that you're patient and humble and kind towards us and that you call us into a, a real relationship with you. I pray for every person listening that they would see a question or ask these questions of their own relationship with you that would hopefully lead to a more fruitful and meaningful relationship with you. And I pray for someone in this room or someone listening that has never started a relationship with you that today would be the day that your Holy Spirit draws them toward you. We thank you, God, that you love us and you care so much about us that you sent your son to die on the cross and to raise again for our sins and so that we can have a reconciled relationship with you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Help us to evaluate our relationship with you and take action. In Jesus' name, amen.